You're listening to Atomic Moms. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. I can't believe it's been six weeks since we came back from our summer break on the podcast. And we've, you know, we've had anxiety attacks with Claire and Bridget. We heard from Glozell Green, who's got 5 million followers on YouTube. And she just uh, rocked, you know, she's she's in Vanity Fair. Like if you pick up Vanity Fair this week, she's in it. She's also, you know, on Atomic Moms. I don't know. That's a coin toss for me. Which would be more exciting <laughs> to be featured in? Uh, my husband loved and lived for the conversation I shared with Dan Coyce about how to raise a family and how he traveled around the world with them for a year. He couldn't believe what he had to say about the Netherlands and the education system there. But today, we are rebroadcasting one of our absolute most treasured episodes. It was originally released as a two-parter. Today, I am making it just one long mother-loving episode. Sarah Alford, a listener, wrote on my Instagram comments last week, The mother's journey with Britta Bushnell was so incredibly memorable. And then Holly Cobb, another listener, jumped on the train and said, The journey to motherhood with Britta Bushnell rocked my world. Talk about being able to beautifully articulate everything I felt as a new mom struggling with the transition from my former self into my new life. She says, I send those two episodes to all my pregnant friends. So that made me think, like, well, I should just make this one episode. I should make sharing easier. It feels like yesterday that she was sitting across from me. You know, February and March of 2018 doesn't sound that long ago, but then I realized that Eliza was only six months old when we recorded and Sabrina was four. And that makes me think, wow, so much time has passed. Britta has some very exciting news. She's been very busy. She has a book. It is coming out. It's called Transformed by Birth. Cultivating Openness, Resilience, and Strength for the Life-Changing Journey from Pregnancy to Parenthood. It's available for pre-order now. You can go to Britta's website at brittabushnell.com and download a book excerpt by signing up for her newsletter. And you'll want to do that because she's getting into the podcasting game as well. (laughs) So go sign up for her newsletter and you'll hear about her podcast. I can't wait. And while you're at it, you know, when you're signing up for newsletters, like, why not just sign up for mine, right? Like, just sign up for Atomic Moms and subscribe. And most importantly, get your friends to listen to the podcast. Super, super appreciate you and them. I have so many exciting interviews coming up on Atomic Moms. But for now, let's go ahead and rebroadcast one of our absolute most treasured episodes Enjoy this conversation, this two-parter in one with Dr. Britta Bushnell. Today, our guest is Dr. Britta Bushnell. We're talking about being transformed by motherhood and all the roles we play. And she is a celebrated speaker, a veteran childbirth educator, an expert in guiding audiences to revolutionary new approaches to childbirth, relationship, and parenting. Utilizing the timeless disciplines of cultural mythology and ritual preparation, Britta challenges unseen reconceptions 
and helps audiences cultivate new ways to approach life's most important transitions. So we're talking about the identity shift and transformation of motherhood, including adoptive mothers and those who have suffered pregnancy loss. We're talking about preparing for birth and cesarean healing. God, that's something that keeps coming up and like no one has been able to help mothers on our show about this yet. So I'm so excited. We're also talking about renewing and deepening intimacy with our partners because a lot of moms out there are just so pissed off at their partners. (laughs) There's so much to cover. And we've got mamas listening at all stages of motherhood. So uh, we're just going to jump in and hit a bunch of different topics because I want everyone who listens to, like, get something out of it, right? Because I could spend a whole hour on my birth. I've done that. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to try to tackle a lot of different topics. And I just want to say, Britta, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. And it's fun to be in person rather than on the phone or I something, know. you know? This is great. Like, yeah. And I've got to give a shout out to my girlfriend, Nicole Montez. She recommended you to me. And, you know, if Nicole said to jump off a bridge, I'd do it. She's just one of, she is, <laughs> she is. she's the person that I think if she didn't send me anything about you and she was like, you need to talk to this person on the podcast, I'd be like, yes, of course, Nicole. Like, there's no follow-up needed with Nicole Montez. I know. She's fantastic. She's She's, she's somebody very near and dear to my heart. So it was a it was a mutual exchange and setup. So it, I'm happy for our blind date here today. Yes, me too. Uh, and Nicole also is one of those friends who where she doesn't have children of her own, and she is always taken to my children as you know she's an aunt. Like her energy is so motherly and warm. Oh, oh, now I got to call her. Okay, so <laughs> okay, let's. Just jump into this whole identity crisis thing. Yeah. Because obviously what the craziest thing I was just reading about, like, the waltz and da-da-da, like, just, I feel like I'm 20 different faces. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things, one of the things that I feel like nobody talks about when you're pregnant or or trying to conceive or in the process of adoption or whatever, or surrogacy, whatever journey a, a person takes to parenthood, people don't talk about how much you're changed, how much the process of getting there changes you, how much it shifts your identity, how many different threads of self you are. And I, one of the things, um, a lot of my research is in rites of passage and ritual preparation and these sorts of things. And one of the the theories around rites of passage, when one of the theorists who addresses rites of passage theory from a female perspective, looking at rites of passage given to young women heading into adulthood, um, Bruce Lincoln, he looks at them and he says there's three stages. There's uh, the enclosure, there's the metamorphosis, and then there's uh, emergence. So if you think about it, it's a little bit like the journey of a caterpillar into a butterfly. But we tend to talk about the first part, like, oh, we're just going to go in and we're going to get that baby one way or another, and then we're going to come out a butterfly on the other side. And we don't talk about that middle part. We don't talk about that metamorphosis, that transformation, that part of us that actually is like what happens in a cocoon, where the caterpillar builds a cocoon around itself, and it doesn't pop out with wings. 
You know, it doesn't just Disney style come out. Woohoo! Look, now I have wings. Are you telling me that I can't just eat a bunch of pies and lollipops? And everything in the I know, right? With the very hungry caterpillar, <laughs> right? No, there's this part that happens inside the cocoon that even that book doesn't really talk about. No, it jumps over it. Yeah, right. It's all this preparation. Then you go into the cocoon, and then oh, look, you pop out, and you're a butterfly. But the transition into parenthood is what happens in the cocoon, and it's a dissolving. It's a metamorphosis. And one of the stages of metamorphosis is dissolving, becoming goo. Now, as parents, I mean, we all know ways that we've become goo. Parts of us. Now, it's like their cells are the same. Like the cells aren't gone, but the shape and the form and the structure becomes this gooey process of of disillusionment. And then it rebuilds. And it rebuilds slowly. And we don't like to talk about that part. Well, let's talk about it then. Yes, let's, let's lean do. in and talk let's about it. Let's talk about the goo. <laughs> let's go into the goo. Let's well, it's, the goo. it's like you can't skip the middle. You know, right. uh, Brene Brown talks about you can't skip the messy middle. And yeah, this, that's this, a is, bummer. this is a I just I really, know. I just want to gorge myself into beauty, just like that damn book. Right. And you just want to suddenly be transformed yes. into the parent butterfly. That just knows how to do it and is able to juggle passions in life and a relationship with your partner and have a great body and all of these pieces when, in fact, it's a slow rebuilding process. And I sometimes like to use the metaphor of weaving. And I think that we we head into this process of transformation and we have this particular color thread of who we knew ourselves to be. Right, we're like, oh, I'm red. I'm this this particular texture and color, or my career is this other one. Mm-hmm. And we go into early parenthood, and suddenly we're weaving with colors we've never seen before. We're like, what? Wait, what is this? Where's where's red? Where's who I was? Where's the color of my career? Where's the color of my relationship to my body? And we have to slowly weave those threads back in. But initially, our weaving in early parenthood, is deeply influenced by the colors of our baby and that experience. So I'll probably flip back to that uh, piece at some point, but I'm I sure love you- that. Well, I also, I love the idea of the weaving because it's this tapestry that's with us. Like it's it's always present. My question with the butterfly metaphor is like, I feel like there's parts of me that are the beautiful butterfly and then parts of me that are the goo and it's like constantly changing. Because my question would be where, when do we get to emerge as the butterfly? I feel like that would take until my kid's 18 and then I get to be the butterfly like right when I become an empty nester and then that's a whole other goo. Right. (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, my children are almost 18 and 15. So I'm at that other edge where empty nest is sort of on the cusp of where mm-hmm. my life is heading. My my oldest is applying to college. Oh, like I that's a whole other story. But yeah, that that piece of when do you feel like your wings are fully formed? I think and it's it's different. Like I don't feel currently like my wings are still forming. I think there is a period of time when you do finally arrive at, okay, I am a butterfly. 
like I am a parent. That doesn't mean that you aren't going to get your wings wet when it rains. Right. And have a hard time flying. Like when you have your second baby or third baby or well, fourth baby. Well, that's when you, you re-enter the cocoon. Let's be yeah. serious. You okay, go fine. back into the cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> that's its own thing. But each time, I mean, you, but, but there does come a point, and often the second baby tends to show up right after you've got those wings yes. out, and you're like, oh, I kind of get these wings. Like, all right. Totally. Let me, let me go fly. And then you go, Oh wait! Now I'm pregnant again, or now I'm no, having another baby. I found baby? out it was because it was the we started getting the New York Times on Sundays, and I was like, "Oh, that's my wings, right?" Because you you're got like, your wings. I got my wings. Like yep. if you have time to read the New York Times, <laughs> on even Sunday, if it's only Sunday, right? Yeah, I mean, it would take me the whole week to read the Sunday Times, but of that's course. like a huge paper, right? It's a huge paper. That was the signal. Yeah. Time for another baby. Time to go back in the cocoon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and I do think there is this time when we come out and we go, oh, I do know I have wings. Mm. And it's different for different mm-hmm. parents, for different individuals. I think for some, it happens, you know, around a year. I think yeah. that's on the early side. None of this six-week postpartum checkup mm-hmm. that our culture mm-hmm. says is the milestone that says you're back to normal, quote unquote, back to normal. Or when everyone's expected to go back to work. Or three months or, yeah. you know, and and I don't think any of those are really an accurate statement. I think it's that moment when you go, oh, I'm out. I mean, one of the examples for me would be I'm out in public. I've forgotten the diaper bag. I have a toddler who has an accident and I figure out how to use those paper towels in the bathroom to clean up a mess and feel like superwoman leaving oh, the yeah. bathroom, even if I've got poop on me. Oh, yeah. You know, those moments where you go, <laughs> now, that doesn't exactly sound like beautiful butterfly wings. Well, no, but it's I, that I've got it. Those moments where it's like, I know that my identity has changed and I have taken on <laughs> sort of the mask of motherhood yes. that says, you throw it at me, I'll figure it out. It right. may not look pretty. It may not look put together. It may not be, you know, designed perfectly, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to be resilient through the process. I think that part of the process of earning our wings is developing some of that resiliency. When you talk about masks, mm-hmm. like let's let's throw some out there. So I've got the the motherhood mask of what I feel like is expected of me by society and by Instagram moms and that whole deal, right? Then there's the mask of what I was kind of trying to allude to at the beginning about what does motherhood look like to the generations before me mm-hmm. and how did they mother? Or like sometimes I'll get a look on my face and it's like, oh, that's my mom. When I'm like mad or or I'll get my dad's mother's look, like this judgmental, like it's like it's like oh, there's like, grandma. Yeah. And then there's I feel like there's this mask of that's my favorite mask is like this reflection of my baby back at me, if that makes any sense at all. And sure. I get that she's mirroring me, but I feel like when I'm mirroring her, that's the sweet spot. I'm making all this up on the fly. Talk to us about masks. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, masks are a tricky one because I do think there's masks that, you know, we take on and off. Um, 
and and they have an idea of falsity. Like they mm-hmm. make it sound like what's true is what's beneath. But there's also a way of of seeing them as costumes of roles. And and we have different roles. We have different ways of of engaging that happen in different moments. And yeah, we have the the mask that was passed down to us from generations, you know, what you shared at the very beginning, these these different ideas about parenthood that have been passed down generation to generation to generation. And we can end up putting that on, which is fine. It's it's just good to know that you've done it. Mm-hmm. It's that awareness of, oh, is this mine? Is this my mask? Like, like, do I want to have this particular mask on right now? And can I choose to take that one off or even to – to be able to look in the mirror when we put on a mask and go, oh, I think that actually belong, belongs to my mother-in-law. Like, that doesn't belong to me. And to to take notice of that and to be able to flow more easily through the various different parts of us that show up, be it masks, costumes, whatever we talk about. And to just to take notice, to know what which one we're wearing in a given moment and to also know which ones give us really a sense of of comfort, of meaning, of of value in our lives in any given moment. All those kinds of things. I don't know if I'm making sense in this moment, but absolutely, that's just a, a quick response. So now let's jump into childbirth. You know, because okay. this is a problem, right? This this podcast should really be a whole series with you, and instead, it's like this really shallow survey. <laughs> It's Join all good. me on this shallow ride, everybody. <laughs> we'll uh, make it as deep as I, possible. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm holding my iced coffee. <laughs> and I started off the podcast by asking about the Sex and the City author. Okay. <laughs> so, childbirth. Yes. What do you want to know? Everything. Okay. My first baby. Both were unmedicated. Two different doulas. First one was born... After, you know, my water broke early in the morning, then I got to the hospital around noon, and then she was born at 9 p.m. sharp, and I had hypnobirthing playing the whole time. I was in the tub. It was excruciating, um, but it felt manageable, and it was a very empowering experience. Second birth was like four hours and like a freight train. And there was, like, throwing up. My doula was amazing and really felt like a a really strong support system for me. But that one was so intense. And I, and I shared that birth story, Eliza's birth story, on the podcast. And I actually revisited it with a psychologist, uh, Dr. Barry Michaels, because – Something happened at the end that felt like I, my power was taken away where all these doctors came in to watch and I didn't want them there and they didn't listen. I had such different experiences and I know every birth is totally different. If I had that second birth first, I don't know if I would have done another unmedicated birth. I want to talk about like the ugliness for a minute and the darkness because I had spent years talking about my empowered birth story and not in a I've always been very conscious of other mothers experiences and I've never been someone thank god I mean that's probably why I'm able to have a podcast like mothers don't mind listening to me because I'm not like well you should have this type of birth right 
And I've always talked about shaking off expectations. This one with Eliza was so close to death for me. It was so intense that you almost feel like you're touching the other side, if that makes sense. So what do you say to first-time moms or even second-time moms that have about that, the darkness and sort of embracing the lack of control and like, give me a pep talk here because that was so trippy. Yeah. I mean, it's like going to another dimension. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it often is going to another dimension. I mean, I think that's one of the things that happens in in becoming a parent. And I think it happens for some in a fertility journey. Mm-hmm. I think for others, it happens during a, uh, an adoption period or a surrogacy. And then for others, it happens in pregnancy or in labor or in a pregnancy loss. There's lots of different ways that we face darkness. And I almost think it's a necessary part of the process of that transformation that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. is that that uh, little bit of death inside us, a symbolic death, a death of expectations, a death of ideals, of what we what we think, um, uh, often, and what I really mean by expectations, expectations of ourself, expectations of how we would handle something or what we would do, um, how we would rise to the occasion. Often, those are the dark moments. Is actually when we are struggling with our own our own reaction or lack of reaction to whatever it is that's happening. That that's what sticks with us. And, you know, feeling that place of, you know, could I have said more? Could I have done whatever that is? You are giving me so many chills. Because when you just said the lack of reaction and could have I done more, like it just brings up all the whole like Me Too movement, right? And how that's so much a part of our collective psyche right now. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And that part that we replay, and we do that with our birth stories too, we replay the why didn't I? Why didn't I do X, Y, Z? Why didn't I? Um, And then often spins into a story that has something like, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad mom because I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And often it's just a reaction that happens in the fight, flight, freeze response. And we can't have done any – we couldn't have done anything different in that moment. And so in going into the dark, it's like I think we need to be preparing parents for that place of being in the darkness, being in that place of deep transformation, deep challenge, uh, some kind of personal or metaphoric death of of those ideas of of the image that we have held often the image is the image of the birth you know and mm. sometimes with second time parents they go in thinking that the they've had an experience of labor of birth and therefore they know it mm-hmm. but they've had one experience you know, it's similar to birth professionals who have seen, you know, hundreds if not thousands of births, and they go into their birth thinking that they know what will happen when they don't, because each and every experience is unique, every single one of them. 
And so a second-time parent heading in is has both the uh, good fortune of having been through an experience before and the liability of having had mm-hmm. that experience. So they think, oh, it's going to be like it was, or I know myself because I've already had that experience, when in fact it's quite the undoing. It's like, no, this is a different child. This is a different birth experience. And I am one that sort of has a belief that our our births and our, our journey into parenthood teaches us something we need to know to parent that child. So you know, funny. I like, was just, when you were saying that, I was like, I wonder what Eliza's lesson was. Right. Her lesson or your lesson right. to, to Well, her lesson her. to me. Yeah. But, or, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have two children, and their births were wildly different. And in you know you can't look at it six hours after birth and say, oh, this is this was the lesson that I got from that. But on the verge of having an eighteen year old, I can look back and go, oh, that was some of what I needed to learn from that birth. Do you mind sharing a little bit of that? Yeah, I mean, I don't talk publicly about my birth experiences mm-hmm. for a couple of different reasons, but I will share just a tidbit that my older son had some really difficult moments breathing right when he came out, like significant non-breathing for on his own for like 15, 20 minutes. So he had oxygen and some other things happening, and which, which sounds like it would be incredibly traumatic, right? That would be the, the trauma moment. But I was so deep in the process of feeling like I had just survived. Right? I like he came out. I've been through this whole labor experience. Oh my god, he's alive. I'm alive. This is that's it. Let's just mm-hmm. focus on coming back into my body. And somebody very well meaning in the room said, "Touch your baby. Touch your baby. He needs to know you're there." Which is is my moment of birth trauma in in that experience because that's the voice that came in and said I'm not being a good mom. Right. And when I when I look at that and I think about okay why did my son, you know, what did I learn about my child, about my experience, about who he is, that particular child of mine has a chronic health condition that needs lots and lots of attention. Um, Not so much now. He has type 1 diabetes, and he's completely self-sufficient with that now. But it was a long journey when he was a little little kid, where it was just 24-7 being an external pancreas for him. Mm. And his birth experience, where it took him a while to arrive on the planet, and it took a while for me to arrive on the planet with him, has a lot to teach the two of us about what we needed to know to get through and navigate his health condition that showed up years later but is influenced in some ways by how our first initial moments were together in the the moment of his birth and my arrival back on the planet to be there with him. As a doula, you know, I'm sure you can't speak about your mothers, but let's say in my Ellie's make-believe world, there's a mother who's going through something like that. What would have you said to her 
in order to connect with her child? Or would you just let her take her time? Well, let me, um, one of the things that I didn't know when I was having my child, uh, my firstborn, but knew subsequently is some, some mythology that helps to connect. So I, I'm a mythologist. I have a PhD in mythology. And so that's definitely something that is a place of passion for me. And I think there is something very powerful about storytelling and not storytelling in the let's pass around our birth stories in this very, you know, here, let me hand you mine and let yours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I don't do a play by play of my mm-hmm. my birth. It's like because that feels kind of sacred. Mm-hmm. But to talk about more of an archetypal journey and the the story that I was taught by my mentor at Birthing From Within, Pam England, is the story of Inanna's descent. And I use that story as part of the preparation for giving birth. And it can also work for not birth-related, but any kind of transformative journey. And I'll tell you a story. I had a, a mother, a couple that took my class, my childbirth prep class, a while ago. And they were planning a home birth and they had, you know, all of these plans and they were super ready and excited to face the ordeal of the intensity. Yes. Like that part, like they had planned the for the intensity, like that was what I was going to do. Because in rites of passage, there is a piece that's the ordeal. Like, how are you going to face the mm-hmm. ordeal? What we forget is I like don't, the fun and games part of it all. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not as into the ordeal part. <laughs> I'm also know. into the, wait, what's the Joseph Campbell where it's like the refusal of, of the, the call? call? Yes. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time in the refusal right. of the call. Anyway, continue. Absolutely. And we tend to like to say, oh, I'm going to sign up for this ordeal. Yes. As if, yes. as if it's a yes. menu, right? And you get to pick. <laughs> you don't get to pick. No. And so, this, oh my God, no, no, you don't get to pick. I didn't pick type one diabetes as part of my my parenting no. ordeal no. at all. And yet, I am grateful for the experience and what it taught us at this point. Mm-hmm. Am I ready for a cure? Absolutely. Yeah. But but I but I'm grateful. I wouldn't go back and undo it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. But this this couple, let me get back to this story. This couple had planned for this home birth, and they had selected their ordeal, right? This is what it was yeah. going to be, the intensity. And they were prepped for it, and they were ready for all of that, and they, and they seemed like they really had, in, had that embraced. And then they found out they had placenta previa, which is where the placenta covers the cervix, and you can't give birth vaginally with the placenta first. It doesn't work. It ends very, very poorly. It's one of the universally agreed upon ways, reasons to have a cesarean. And so here is this very naturally minded couple who was ready to birth through the ordeal of the in- physical intensity right. at home in the right. tub, who had to re-envision the ordeal. Yes. That their rite of passage, and they they used the story of Inanna, the stripping away of her. She's so tell us she's that a story. goddess. Okay. okay, let's start with goddess people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in. I'm all in, in now. You're all in you said with goddess. The goddess. I'm, I'm okay. totally in. Woo, I hooked you on goddess. Okay, we should have started there. <laughs> so, yeah, she is a Sumerian goddess. Uh, so really ancient, really really ancient. You know, you may remember back to like the. Uh, 
teenage years of learning about the Fertile Crescent, you know, no. the Tigris and the Euphrates and the Fiat Fertile. No. no. Okay. Well, it comes from the place of um, from the Sumerian people. And she was goddess of heaven and earth. And I'm going to do the abbreviated version because we love I dress that. up in costumes. Really? And I do a whole thing when I teach it in my class. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do and I it to takes get a again long to time to tell the story. Okay. So, And I tell yes. it across two different classes. So the very oh quick I must version. be killing you with this podcast. <laughs> There's no costumes. Oh, I no love masks. I know. Anyway. Masks and costumes. So Inanna is queen of heaven and earth. Okay. And she gets a call. Speaking of calls, uh, to visit her sister in the underworld, and at first she kind of ignores it, yeah. and then eventually she says, "All right, I'm going to go." And her sister in the underworld, you could say, is kind of representative of the unconscious, of those things we don't yet know about ourselves. Like, okay, I don't know that I want to go down and find out what's in there. Yeah, right. And so she gets ready and she puts on all this stuff, you know, as if she's getting ready for this big event. She has her crown, her necklace, her cloak, her breastplate, uh, her measuring rod. She has all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And she ha starts to head down to the underworld. And there's gates. And she gets stopped at the gates. And the guard of the underworld says, uh-uh-uh, you can't come in here. You have to, I'm going to have to take something of value from you in order for you to pass. And so he takes the crown at one gate, he takes the beads at another, and he goes down. She goes down through the underworld, and it's getting harder and harder and harder because— Stripping away. It's stripping away of different types of identity, different beliefs about what she thinks she'll need. Right. Because each item she put with her, on her, she believed she would need on this journey. Now I'm thinking I need a breastplate. Yeah, right. Well, breastplates are interesting, right? Because what are they placed to protect? My heart. The heart. And That's yet, <laughs> but in reality, the breastplate does get stripped in the journey to parenthood. We can feel very deeply after we become a parent. Things touch us deeply. And when we strip that breastplate away, without it, we're vulnerable. It's a kind of armor to have that. And when we become a parent, it's harder to be armored. Much harder to be armored, right? So all of these things get stripped away till she enters the throne room humbled, bare, raw. Somehow she had to keep going even though the things were taken away from her because there was no other option. She can't turn around and go back up the other way because those gates close behind her. And when she enters the throne room, there is her sister and because of some stuff that has gone on between them, the, and she's the goddess of the underworld, she kills Inanna and hangs her on a hook. I know. And, and it's Sister. a powerful, I know, <laughs> but it's a powerful metaphoric story what? for the what? journey. What? There's more. There's a second half. There's she's a second half. A hook. I'm never taking my breastplate off if I ever get one. <laughs> she's hanging on a hook. And, and yet she's, you know, the process has been sort of a stripping away and, a, and arriving at, at rawness, at being who you are without all of those pieces of identity. Because at each gate, the gatekeeper says, who are you? 
And she starts off and she's like, I'm Inanna, queen of heaven and earth. And then she's like, okay, well, I thought I was queen of heaven and earth. And, right. and she keeps getting asked, keeps getting asked, keeps getting asked until finally she's like, I'm nothing. This is, I'm just this. And he's like, yeah, that's right. And so she comes in, she gets hung on the hook, but she had a good friend who had watched, who, who had helped her get ready. And she was concerned about her. And she said, Inanna, don't go. Do you know what happens if you go to the underworld? You know, and all of us have friends um, or voices who are concerned about us. Mm -hmm. And they say, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to go down that path? And it can show up in different ways. Like, are you sure you want to birth at that hospital? Are you sure you want to, you know, have a home birth? Have you really thought about that? But Inanna uses that concern to say, watch out for me. Watch for me to return. Watch for me to come back. And if I haven't, go get help. And so three days pass, and Inanna hasn't returned. And so this dear friend, whose name is Ninjabur, just to add another fun you know, name in here. So Ninjabur notices Inanna's not come back. And so she does what Inanna has told her to do, and she gets the community aware of the fact that Inanna hasn't returned. Now think about this in terms of postpartum, how valuable it is to have people watching to make sure you don't get stuck, right? You don't get stuck down there. And so Ninjabur gathers everybody. She puts on particular kinds of mourning clothing and bangs the drum to tell everybody, hey, our beloved Inanna is down there and we need to help bring her back. And so she goes and she goes to the, the fathers and she gets help. And one of the fathers offers her the allies, and the allies, he gives them the food of life and the water of life, and he sends them down, sends them down through the underworld, and there they offer uh, the queen of the underworld some compassion because she's down there eating dirt, you know, she's going to the underworld, and she's like, wow, I kind of like this compassion, like, I'm going to give you something, let me give you the water of the, of the tigress, and they're like, no, we don't, we don't want that. And she says, well, what? What can I give you? And the allies say, we want the corpse of Inanna. And so the guards take the corpse of Inanna off the hook. But you have to understand, she's been hanging on the hook for three days. She doesn't look very good. You could say it looks a little bit like postpartum. You know, she's disheveled. She hasn't showered. You know, she's got sweat and blood and milk dripping from various different parts of her body. And that's... That's deceiving because the external is not addressing what's happening internally. So when the we're gig. hanging on the hook, we're the goo face. Exactly. Do I get we're a star? Full <laughs> circle <laughs> here. When we're on it's the amazing. hook, we're goo. Ah! We're in the goo phase. Yeah. And we need some support to help mm -hmm. us refigure. And that's where the allies come in. And they give the food of life, which you could say is like the physical sustenance, those things that help us, like somebody to bring us food. Oh, my God. My girlfriend's brought me Jones on 3rd, and it was amazing. Right? So that's the physical sustenance, the food, laundry, somebody to do your laundry because there's an oh my God. ending amount of laundry. Really fast. Yes. I'm not going to talk about my mom because I told you before. I was like, I can't. I, my mom and I are going to place right now, but I got to be careful what I say. Um the day she left, she said, you got a lot of laundry. <laughs> I was like, 
Yeah, I've got a lot of laundry. There's so much laundry. Buy like wh- yeah, I've got a lot of laundry and <laughs> right. It's oh like, my god! And the things that help bring us back to life are the food of life items like actual meals, cleaning, uh, somebody to do the laundry, somebody to you know. I don't know do why shopping. I didn't get a postpartum. Yeah. All of that, I that, right? Those are some of the physical, and then we also need the water of life things, which are the emotional sustenance. Somebody to say, "Hey, how are you doing? Let, let's talk. Tell me about your experience. Tell me about what happened to you during your birth process. Give me a few more of those because we're always looking for like what can we say? Yeah, so, yeah. because I think I'm probably not the only listener thinking like, okay, but we don't want to be that nurse who said, touch your baby. So how do we bring you back to this planet without causing the trauma by making you feel like you're not doing something right? So you do it by getting curious and staying present. So being in the place where you're with that new parent and you're asking them, tell me about what happened to you, which is not the same thing as tell me about the timeline. You know, mm-hmm. Tell me a moment when you felt really powerful. Tell me a moment when, when it was really hard and how you kept going. Because okay? that's the, that key piece is, we hit those moments, those gates, if we're referring back to the Anana story, we hit those gates that are hard. But we have to keep going. So what helped you keep going? That's Those are questions that are going to help. Like, okay, so, so the nurse said, you know, touch your baby. You know, how did you keep going after that surprised you? Because we want to find out that moment. Like what propelled you to keep going, to get past that, or to, to do the next thing that was needed. Because that helps to teach us a little bit about ourselves and reinforces the resilient part, not the just the victim part, right, of I'm, what I'm happened. struggling right now because yeah. what I'm thinking about with Eliza's birth, there were moments where it almost felt like my passivity was what was allowing the journey to continue. Mm. And I'm feeling this weird push-pull thing about, like, was it acceptance or was it freeze? Where mm-hmm. it was almost like I was able to have this super fast birth because at cer- certain points I was very vocal and I'd be like, please be quiet. And I'd ask for what I needed and I very much got this, like, tiger thing going, which I don't usually access. But when I think about the super, super intense moments, it's like almost giving up my body to this other thing. And I guess I am having a little bit of self-judgment about, was I able to do this because I was moving forward or was able to do this because I kind of turned into at certain points turned into like a possum and just laid there and like let it overcome me. Yeah. And and so I would ask you, so so what happened for you? What what was that moment of transformation like for you? What was was 
what was it like to shift into a place of passivity? Because sometimes being surrender is a, you know, surrendering is a big part of what happens. And it's not a part of a value that is is uh, held in this culture. Can we talk about that for At a all? moment? Yes. Because a I'd lot, love to. especially with interventions, mm-hmm. there are a lot of mothers who end up with interventions and they feel like their power has been stripped away because they've needed to surrender. So give us a pep talk about surrendering. Okay. So there's a couple of different things. First is I'm not going to take away whatever their experience was. So if they feel like their power was taken away, I'm not going to tell them it was otherwise. I think that it's really important to listen and hear, okay, if you're feeling like your power was stripped away, your power, that that's your experience. I mean, there's things we can do with that. But in terms of surrender, I think there's a lot of different ideas around surrender. And surrender is a tricky one because we're, I'm not talking about surrendering to um, uh, forces happening on you by others and, and removing informed consent and refusal. We, we, there is a need to have informed consent and refusal in our culture, and it isn't being respected as much as it should be in our birth culture. Let me start by just saying that yeah. piece, okay? Um, and surrender to what is happening is another piece. So surrendering to the process of your birth experience, surrendering to the process of what's happening in, in postpartum or in parenthood. Um, that That's a different kind of thing. And surrendering, that letting go, is, is that journey of Inanna where stuff is stripped away that we might think we need, but in letting it go, it may actually be the thing we need to continue. So surrender, surrendering to our unique path, is what I would call a part of surrender. So surrendering, one of the hardest surrenders in in this current birth climate is the the surrendering to the ideal image of my birth that I have mm-hmm. prepped and and lit candles over and ex, you know done affirmations for nine months to prepare for. That if that image is popped, which it usually is, because Control and certainty are illusions. And we aren't used to having that confronted like it is in parenthood. And the beginning of that is often in pregnancy or at least in labor. Mm -hmm. We are confronted with, wow, I can't know everything about anything. And... And I don't have control over it. It just made me so sad because I was thinking about all the, like the, so many women experiencing infertility and also adoption and how they are dealing with that. They are confronted with that in such a huge way that's not recognized very often. Yes. And that is a huge part of the process for some people toward parenthood is like um, often the parents that come to my class who have had a long fertility process, they they are in a different place in the relationship to control uncertainty because they've already been initiated. 
through that process. Or pregnancy loss. Yes, and pregnancy loss. They've already been initiated through that experience. And so it they come in with a little bit of a different relationship to to it. And mm-hmm. parents and and it's not always the case, but then there's also the parents who everything has gone perfectly well. Perfectly well. And uh they just they were blessed or got mm-hmm. super lucky or I don't even know what happened. And everything works perfectly all the way through labor, through birth. Sometimes I wonder if they have had a full initiation. Because Ooh, talk more about that. Because parenthood brings you to your knees. It brings you to your knees at some point. It's we don't get to to control all the events because now you have another human and you don't get to control another human. You know, we are in the dance of of this. And there's a there's a quote by a theologian that I love that says um, uh, that parenthood is about the openness to the unbidden. So unbidden, meaning those things which we do not plan for or choose. And parenthood is, is that we choose our partners. We, we choose our careers usually. We ch- choose our friends. You know, we have all these things that we have this relationship of choice. But parenthood is, is this, this journey of the un- unbidden, of being, learning to be open to the unbidden. And I think, think the process of getting to parenthood teaches us some of how to do that. How do we surrender, which was part of your question, how do we surrender to that which we did not choose or expect and keep going anyway? So when, when, when I talk about initiation, initiation, remember, if we think back to the rite mm-hmm. of passage part of the conversation, there's an ordeal. You know, and that ordeal helps us uh, remake ourselves into something new. That that's an that's a fundamental part of the initiation process. And if we don't have that, if we don't have that, or we don't have a lens for that, we can come out kind of righteous, mm-hmm. like, oh, I've figured mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. I've got the method. I've got the recipe for control. And. Most of us know people who can dance in the the righteous parenting side of things mm-hmm. and say, "Oh, I've figured it out. What you need to do is," you know, which then is a setup for disappointment because there isn't a formula. There's not, and so we need each person has their own initiation, and it will happen at some point. Yeah. I had a a client many you're many get years come up and you're gonna get your come up and <laughs> I had a I had a client many many years ago uh she's since taken my my childbirth class multiple times but she she has three kids now but she took it the first time and she was like ah oh, I had a great birth I got everything mm-hmm. that I wanted you know I all that stuff we did in class was great Britta but I really got the birth I wanted and I was like awesome I'm so happy for you that you got that and then she had breastfeeding challenges mm-hmm. and it brought her to her knees and it it really and she came back and she was like now everything you did really made sense Ugh. because i'm understanding the part of this process of parenthood that is testing me to to remake me into somebody that my kids need me to be for them but wow 
you know, I, I kind of like just the easy breezy, everything went great. But right. but the breastfeeding actually is what was her transformative experience so that she could really arrive and be the parent that she needed to be. And then she had two other very different experiences birthing her other two children and, and nursing her other children. It was like they, she didn't get the same initiation mm-hmm. process. She didn't face the same ordeal. And Each we don't time. get to choose our ordeal. We don't get to okay, choose. So let's go back to our girlfriend on the hook. Oh, yes. We've left her on the hook. So she's now received. <laughs> here, I love that you play along with me. It's awesome. So, so she's, she's getting her food of life. Yes. And she's getting her water of life, okay, that emotional support, those those words, those questions, that engagement, somebody to rub her feet, you know, oh. or to hold her baby while she showers. Yeah. You know, like getting a shower is emotional sustenance as a new parent. It's like, or sleep, somebody to take care of the baby so you can take a nap, you know. Those are things that help bring us back to life. And so Inanna gets some of those things, and she returns. She comes back to life. But just like the butterfly, she doesn't just suddenly reappear in her normal life. She has to go back up through the underworld labyrinth and reintegrate with who she was on the journey down. The parts Mm. of her that she Mm -hmm. stripped away, Mm -hmm. she now has to pick them back up. So thinking, y'all, this is better than Oprah Super Soul Sunday. I'm just saying it right here, right now. This is this is better. And that's pretty great. This is better. I'm You're getting awesome. competitive. Thank you. With Oprah I feel now. very honored. Sorry, okay, I just wait. Laughed so into the your reintegration. Ears. Yes, because so that ah, uh, this is the weaving piece. Yeah. that we talked about at the beginning. This is the there's like all these threads dangling down from the upper world self, like the. Who you used to be, you know, that social self, shall we say. Yes. Right? The above world self. And now you have this experience of the underworld self, this part that has been hard and dark, right? We talked about that. And as you start to go back up, there's these threads, and then there's all these threads from the underworld and from the upper world, and you weave. It's kind of like we, uh, going back to that episode uh, with Barry Michaels, actually about my birth. This is what's so crazy to me when it all comes together, right? Talk about integration. Uh, about it was also about the shadow self. Yeah. So Beautiful. I'm assuming the underworld is also a lot of like our shadow self. Yeah, it's shadow self. It's parts of us that Earth we mean. may not know are there, right? It's that unconscious. It's also that in in the way that I use the story is that experience of being stripped away to something that's bare and then saying, okay, now I've had this experience. So there's all these threads in your mm-hmm. new tapestry that come from this experience. Yes. Right? And in early postpartum. The alchemy of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And in that early postpartum period, like your tapestry is full of those colors. It's like that's all it is. It's like it's hard to remember uh, the colors from the above world, because we're so focused on the birth, the baby, our healing. It's like those dominate. Mm -hmm. And often new parents get scared that they're never going to have the colors that they were before. Mm -hmm. Right. But those threads are still there. We just have to pick them back up and trust that, that while we're weaving, we're weaving it's it's a journey of of ascending. You have to ascend back up, and it's going to take time. 
You're going to be letting parts go, dropping the threads of the underworld, and picking up threads of our former self. And then there's – and that's that's a process. I mean, I, I in the mother circles that I run, we talk about – Finding your your intuition, connecting in with your own wisdom, you know, because it's so easy to go straight to Dr. Google for, right. you know, every answer to everything. And how do we connect in with our mother intuition? Like that's a thread of coming together. Um, our bodies, you know, and healing our bodies and coming back into our bodies now that they have been changed because they're changed. And and who are you know what what is this belly now that it has has birthed and and held a, a baby raised a baby inside who are these breasts what about this butt you know these different parts of us even our hair is changed it's falling out in chunks folks right it, <laughs> mine is it falls out in postpartum chunks you know our skin all these things that we need to reconnect with like that's that's a thread that we come back to. And, you know, intimate relationships with our partners, that piece. Well, we got to talk about that that one. Yeah. Yeah. I need some advice there. But really fast. While we're in the, talking about the underworld and coming back out, right? Coming back out. A lot of us are afraid of going back down into the underworld because, you know, because we know there's going to be another challenge that we don't get to choose. And so this listener, Glenn, he's a daddy. He wrote me on Instagram, and I'd love your help with this one. He said, my wife went through severe postpartum depression following the birth of our first child. We both eventually want a second, but are terrified of a PPD recurrence, wondering if others have faced the same situation, whether they had or did not have a second, and their experience. So, Britta, what do you say to mothers who come to you that have gone into the underworld and it was more than they could bear you know, because of hormones, because of, you know, early childhood trauma, whatever might be stirring up the postpartum depression. And they they finally, they get back into the light and they're, they want another child, but they're scared. What's your advice for them? Yeah. I mean, there's one is I don't think anybody can tell them which is the right answer. One of the things in our culture is we want we want an answer. We want that certainty. And so we go looking for experiences. Tell me what yours was like. Tell me what was yours was like. And so we get into that place of somebody's going to have the answer for me. When in fact there's there aren't answers. Don't say that. People stop listening to the podcast. I, well, <laughs> but part of I'm what kidding, we're I'm doing kidding. is exploring, yes. right? And and ex- exploring and asking questions is part of that journey. And getting advice is helpful. Yes. But it doesn't mean it's going to answer it for you. That's part of that developing the but intuition. It's so annoying. That we have to, like, oh, it's so annoying. We have to do our own work. I know. We do have to do our own work. And listen and, to the intuition, which is hard. Because sometimes we've been listening to, like, lies yeah. for years. Yeah. Well, like, sometimes the voices in our head are not our intuition, folks. No, they're not, they're not always trustable. For sure. No. But our intuition might be one that says, ask more people what they've done. The intuition can actually guide us to ask good questions. That that can be a helpful thing. And so what what your listener wrote is, you know, okay, what what can we do? And how, you know, is this something to find out? Have people done this? 
And I would say that the number one thing I would say is if somebody decides to have another child after having a very challenging, dark experience is to really take time, if I'm going to refer back to the Inanna story because we've already addressed it, take time in the preparation phase, in the phase of getting Ninjaber to watch out for you. Who who do you have rallying? You know, one of the things that's really tricky in a first journey with with any kind of postpartum mood challenge is not knowing it's happening, mm-hmm. not understanding it, not having it make sense because it doesn't make rational sense because it's not happening on a rational plane. It's happening someplace very deep, and so. To be able to know from the rational part of your brain, which is in the pre-part of the journey, so before you've descended, Mm -hmm. to say, what am I going to need to help make sure I can climb out? Like, to almost go back into it and say, okay, if postpartum depression were to happen again, what would I do differently this time? How might like like actually put yourself in that experience and then find your tools, find your tools, find your team, get them armed to support you. That I think is really important. You know, we talk in a lot in our culture about being fearless, you know, fearless birth and be mm-hmm. be fearless and 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 heading into right i know i it, it just doesn't work for yeah, me because no. i actually think that no. fear teaches us something yeah. and so this listener that fear that he's having in that place of wow what do we do that fear he doesn't need to get to a place where he's fearless but he can use the fear to inform his actions right to prepare that's what fear is meant to do for us, is to bring us to awareness. Like, what do we do? How do we deal with this? So use that fear. And then once you have used the fear, you be brave. One of the things I like to say is, is birth doesn't ask us to be fearless. It asks us to be brave. And that's a very different kind of thing. So that's that's kind of, I don't know, beautiful. that's a quick yes. response. No, that's beautiful. Thank you. Let's quickly, because we're running out of time, as always, let's talk about C-sections um, and about healing after them. I'm sure you have a lot of mothers that come in who've had, well, do you do VBACs? Uh, or, when you say do VBACs, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I mean <laughs> no, I'm not. No, do, do, like, do mothers come in who have had C-sections who, uh, are hoping to experience a vaginal birth? Yes. Yes. And I, I have a class that's a birthing again class, and that's a place where, you know, we would go through some of that. I also have a cesarean healing workshop that I do a couple of times a year. And, I mean, it's a hard one to talk about in terms of uh, what you can do via, you know, yeah. podcast land right. as opposed to the – because it's an intimate process. You know, when you're healing from something that was unexpected and may have elements of of um, emotional trauma attached to it, it isn't the easiest thing to talk about in terms of like a quick fix. We like quick fixes. We want to know the answer, how to make it work. Right. And and it's more complex. We want the four hour work week. We do. We, we want just... the four hour work week. The 
four-minute workout, to, you know, whatever it is. When something of, of that depth of importance, it often requires, you know, some one-on-one mm-hmm. or some small group and, and some unpacking and, and looking at the experience in a new way exploring it. Now, a lot of the work that I do around cesarean, I do prenatally before a first birth so that there's an idea of what, again, going back to some of what we've already talked about, what would I do if I had a cesarean? How would I have a cesarean uh, that I that I still felt uh, in the moment with and that I had an awareness that I was present how can I bring all of my intentions for my birth to my experience of birthing surgically? Not just, not not just uh, throw those out if if a if a surgical birth or cesarean birth became important for whatever reason. We often get very goal fixated, you know. Mm-hmm. It's we, we like these binary boxes. I had a natural birth or I had a medicated birth or I had a surgical birth or, you know, I had a C-section or I had this. And we want to know what box to put it in. And we want to say often going in, we're like, I'm going to have a natural birth, meaning unmedicated, right? For most people, that's what that means. Um, and instead being in that, that – that's a goal-focused where it's measurable mm-hmm. as opposed to I want to be present with myself, or I want to um, feel uh, powerful. Like you can still feel powerful giving birth by cesarean. Now, if if it has, if it's after the fact, and a cesarean has happened, and it was, um, it felt disempowering or was was traumatic in some way. Um, it's often really good to get some help. To, to have somebody personal to to work with there there's a whole group of people um, that are trained to do something called birth story listening and if you find somebody in your area that can do birth story listening or birth story medicine those are the two terms that it goes by um, that can be a really great place to unpack it with somebody who's been trained to be with that uh, be with parents as they unpack that because it's a it, it is that individual place. Um, when I and that's part of what I do in my circles is when I do the cesarean healing work is to talk really specifically about that and to uh, I use the the labyrinth as a metaphor and we we remap the experience mm. of what happened through the labyrinth rather than through a timeline. That oh this happened and then that happened it's like okay where where's the place that you trip as you go through the labyrinth what's that and then let's and I use I mean I'm again metaphor and props and we've talked about all those things so I also have little beads and trinkets and feathers and various different things that people can symbolize in their journey where those pieces are and. Take take a moment and look at each of them and say, "Am I done with this one? Am I ready to oh, let that go? Wow! Or am I? Is this one still something I need to hold on to and look at more carefully? So we'll pull those out and then explore them and look at them and write about them and talk about them as symbolic representations, which can help to create just a little bit of that distance between it being so painful." Mm-hmm. 
and being something we can investigate or explore and unpack together. So that's kind of a so cool, very so cool, brief description. So of cool, that. but it's again, it's hard to do right. without. Well, it's all theoretical, like, and right, right, right. That is so cool, though. Thank you. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> also, everyone stalk Britta's Instagram because I think I saw a photo <laughs> yeah. of your bag of tricks. I do have quite the bag of tricks. I have lots of tricks. Oh I have, my gosh! And, and mine is, and it's very, um, yes. All uh, lots of costumes, lots of props, lots of uh, what I call call teaching tools or teaching toys because I think they're sometimes toys. And it sounds a little sexual, but okay. Oh, you're right. It kind of no, does. I don't know. It's like oh. a, maybe yeah, not. No, it does. Yes. <laughs> well, but in that place of, I mean, we're becoming parents. When you work yeah. with parents, um, I sometimes like to demystify the idea that I have an altar in the center of my mm. class because. Uh, hello, if you're becoming a parent, toys on the floor is going to become part of your reality. Yes. And so they're my they're my toys. My toys. That that each one has a reason and a purpose mm-hmm. and they're like talismans. Oh, and they just we talk about them. I I use them, they're props and I have lots of little mythology pieces down there that pop up in different ways. And I just think that's a engaging way to work with people. Tactile. Yeah, tactile, visual. And it's it's got a different old brain way that uh, mm-hmm. bypasses the whole up, you know, PowerPoint way of right. teaching. Or like taking notes or yeah. Right. It moves into a different place that is actually what Part of us we access in labor, in birth, and in postpartum. Right, that reptilian absolutely exactly. It's the old brain part, as opposed to the neocortex, which is very comfortable with powerpoints, mm-hmm. but storytelling, metaphor, props, and toys. That's that old. That is so cool. Brain. Yeah, that's why I. This sounds insane, but I would uh, wear eye masks. I did that with both births accidentally i just brought them for the hospital and i was like i don't want to see anybody's face and that was so helpful because again that's going back to the reptilian brain because i'm not sort of like my eyes aren't darting around yes you know yes it's able to help me relax there's a lot of reasons for that and i sometimes talk about i talk about this in relation to the greek uh twin twins artemis and apollo and Apollo is very cultured and the sun and just, you know, time and order. And Artemis is the forest and outside of civilization. And she's close to the animals and nature. And she's sometimes referred to as the goddess of the moon. Childbirth needs a lot of Artemis. A I lot know, of Artemis. Made, you made and there's so much. Daughter. Those are two of my favorite things to talk about, but we didn't okay. really go into them. <laughs> uh, another time, for sure. Yes. Artemis sounds like Sabrina. My four-year-old. Okay, so we're going to make this a two-part episode, and we are going to delve more into how to reconnect with our partners and find intimacy. Again, uh, I kind of wanted to be like, because I have a six-month-old, and I'm just not interested. And Britta's going to give us a pep talk about how to get interested again and, you know, reclaim our relationships I, I think the in terms of relationship, it's it's really tricky. I mean, one of the things that I'm I'm a big if you haven't figured this out already, I'm a big metaphor girl. Mm-hmm. I Me like too. my I like my metaphors. Me I love them, and I end up mixing them all up. Oh, so like, here, yeah. we, you know, I just do metaphor stew. But one of my favorite metaphors is the idea of pregnancy 
uh, childbirth and and new parenthood or whatever the journey is into new parenthood, that the one who is going to be the primary caregiver, so the one who is and, – and often the, the one who is going to be nursing the child or feeding the child predominantly is the water of a river. So they're in that place that is – changing all the time, like they're ebbing and flowing and like a river, you know, sometimes it's super calm on top, but gushing and moving super fast underneath, but you can't even tell. It goes through rapids. It has eddies where it just chills out and hangs out and it's splashing all over the place. And that's what that partner needs to be. But in order for that to happen, in order for that person to be able to be in that tumultuous, ever-changing element of water, they need banks. They need something that contains and responds. And now we're not talking L.A. riverbanks, you know, <laughs> where, where that have concrete yeah. and yeah. say this is the way the water's flowing because I'm concrete. Right. This, is, this is responsive energy. And I think that it's important for both – partners to understand that often the the non-primary nurturer needs to be the banks, is in that place of holding the ever-changing, fluid, evolving water that is that early parenthood piece, and doing so with responsiveness. Again, not L.A. riverbanks, but, but with um, shifting and adjusting and, and responding and not expecting that both people are going to just be uh, – some are going to be a little water, some are going to be a little mud. That ends up being swampy. It's like there's an – and that doesn't work. You don't get anywhere when you're both trying to be everything. And so We do a lot of that. Right. And it gets swampy. But how do we do this? Because we're being cool right. co-parenters totally. and he's super hands-on as a dad. Totally. But and then this there's is, a yes. there's a power struggle that happens. Yes. And and I think I erode him a little bit if we're going with the metaphor. <laughs> right. And and what's tricky is because often a lot of primary parenting is actually banky. It's very banksy. You know, you're having to be <laughs> the banks to your kid who is also just Yes. Oh my majorly god. Yes. Water. Majorly water. And so it's hard to then be in a in a dynamic, polarized, energized, romantic relationship with your your partner if you've been like holding all of this order, all of this banks, all of this energy. And so to to find ways to tap back into your water element as a mom is really helpful. And I like to say when when I work with my my group, my postpartum groups, we talk about everybody wants to talk about sex and jump right into sex. And how do I, how do, you know, ugh, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to do mm-hmm. sex. I don't want to have, you know, this. And yet they want the intimacy with their partner. They want to feel connected with their partner. But you can't go straight from being this, this bank's energy with your child to jumping in and being in the water space with your partner, you need to take some time to reconnect with your own relationship to your body and yourself. It's hard to be connected, and I, I know I'm rambling a little bit here, but it's hard to be connected with your partner when you haven't connected with yourself. 
And that's the piece. It's like I want to encourage uh, new parents to take time to connect with their own sense of sensuality, you know, with their with their body, with their senses. Like one of the assignments that I give is to take a bath. And this sounds sort of silly, but take a bath, set it up, light a candle, maybe some music, warm water, maybe a special soap, climb into the bath, have somebody else be with your child, and spend the time in the bath noticing what you are feeling. Feel your skin. Notice what you smell. See what you see. Listen to the music. Like reconnect with yourself as a being rather than as a a parent. Because when we connect, we, we can't go from being really in deep relationship with our partner when we're not in deep relationship with ourself. And so in your question about how do I engage with my partner in this place, I would say take small steps to connect with yourself so that you have something in your own tank to connect from. If you don't exist, you can't connect with another person. I agree and because, well, it's the truth. But then what about the partner feeling like there's – because I – I can just hear men in the world. Like I just feel, I feel like I can hear they're it right there. now. They're, yes. they're saying like, well, but there's no time for me and what happened to our relationship because now it's just about the kids or you're off doing yoga or you're with your friends or you're – you know what I mean? Like that whole thing that comes up about when mothers do decide to take time for themselves again to – you just say like, hey, buddy, this is the first act where I have to get back in touch with myself and then we can. So there's a couple of things. Yes, I I think it's really important. I'm so glad you asked this question. Um, One is I think that's part of their underworld journey is that no longer being that primary person for a bit. Right. And one of the things that I say to partners is often – when we come into early parenthood, there's prior to coming into or deciding to take the path of parenthood, there's one partner who is more the caretaker of the relationship. Mm-hmm. The one who says, hey, let's go see a movie or let's go have dinner or, hey, let's, you know, have just dinner, the two of us. And often that person is the one who's later going to give birth, mm-hmm. Right. And the caretaker of the relationship often has to shift. Now, I'm, there's always differences to everything. But in terms of shifting into new parenthood, the one who is the primary parent cannot also be the caretaker of the relationship. Okay. Which – because the jobs it, – it, there's no room in, yes. the, in the workday anymore. Right. And so to have that shift to – so like in your case, your husband mm-hmm. – to say – okay, I want you to watch for our relationship. I want you to help us make sure that we're giving it time and energy. So I like to think of relationship as its own entity. There's you, there's your husband, and then there's the third, which is your relationship. It's like there's your individual needs, there's his individual needs, and then there's the needs of the relationship that is its own independent thing. And somebody has to watch out for that and make sure that it's getting attention. 
And so I I tend to like to have that be dad or the non-primary parent person say, hey, let's go have a date. Okay, let's go have a date. And the primary caregiver is like, wait, I can't have a yeah. date. I can't. Ah, nah, nah. There might be like, resistance. There's Resistance is part of the water. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. water tries yeah. to push against the banks. Right. To find out if it's going to hold. Ooh. Yeah. Right. We do this. We do it all the time. We do this. We do this. But so how does it, because this is also giving me a flashback to when I was on modified bed rest and I was turning into a hermit because I didn't have the endorphins from exercise. I wasn't allowed to go out. I couldn't pick stuff up. I was looking at these boxes and boxes because we just moved and I couldn't pick. It's like it got depressing and I know that I cut myself off and I don't want to be social. My girlfriend Elizabeth picked me up and took me to see Wonder Woman and it was fantastic. When we are resisting the dates or we're resisting the stuff, even though we kind of know, like, down in that well, we're like, we probably should go up there, but it just feels like too much work. Oh, yeah. What do the people at the top of the well say to get us out? Okay. So, I mean, I can speak very personally because my husband took this on. He, We had already done some work in this regard, and he knew, okay, I'm going to be guardian of the relationship. And That's so a beautiful he, way to put it. Yeah, guardian he was guardian of the relationship. He was just making sure that it was getting the attention it needed. And he was like, okay, we're going to have a date. And I was like, no, we can't have a date. I don't want to have a date. Like, who's going to be with the baby? And, then, and I went into all of the very classic. And he said, this is what I figured out. I'm going to have my mom come. She's going to be, you know, and we were fortunate to have his mom not too far away. I mean, not right around the corner, but close enough. She's going to come. She's going to be with the baby. Well, she's going to arrive, and he would lay it out. She's going to arrive early to make that transition. You can tell her all you need to know about, need her to know about what to do. Um, and then we're going to go around the corner. And we did. We went just around the corner to the closest little, I mean, I live kind of up in a mountainy spot, but we went as close as we could go. And he said, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to be in this very close spot, and we'll, we'll only be gone an hour. And it was like baby steps. Mm. It was just baby mm-hmm. steps. And I've also known families who have just said, okay, tonight we're not going to just turn on the TV after we've put the baby down. We're going to actually sit with each other and look at each other and be in relationship with each other. That sounds kind of scary because – people because of the changing right so yeah. you're in a metamorphosis yeah. and it's like here's the new me here's the new me ah! and that's and that's what part of that sitting together <laughs> is about reintroduction it's kind of a reintroduction who am i now and often the first times that you sit down together what do you talk about the baby mm-hmm. it's like all you end up talking about initially is the baby but if you make relationship tending to the relationship a practice, that starts to shift and we start to remember ourselves as somebody other than our child's mother. We start to remember the thread from the upper world self that was lover, that was partner. You know, not right away, but we we need to keep going back to be reminded. Just a little bit, that practice. So it's like my husband saying, we're going to do this. you know. And it didn't mean that I was suddenly ready to be sexually intimate. 
you know, because sometimes there's that like, well, I'm not ready to go back on yeah. dates because I don't, you know, it's like mm. they're, they're independent. If anything, we're learning in this, you know, culture right now. So those are independent from one another. But intimacy, emotional intimacy is something that we can tend to. And getting that, you know, your friend who said, no, we're going to Wonder Woman. Here we go. Let's do this. It's that kind of of energy of saying, I'm the banks. I've got you. I've got you, but not from a place of being rigid, but but being responsive. So in my case, my husband knew that my big concern was going to be who was going to be with our baby. And so he took care of that as best he could, even though I was still like, but I don't know, you know. Mm -hmm. He took care of that concern and then made it something I could step into. When you were even though I resisted the entire time. Which is so great to hear (laughs) because I think moms need to hear that you can resist and resist and resist and still do it Mm -hmm. or that if if they feel safe enough. Yeah, if the desire to move towards connection and care for the relationship is important, you do find your way through some of that resistance that isn't um, no, it's just resistance about – uh, concerns, concerns mm-hmm. for the baby, concerns for those kinds of things. They're not, I would say, they're they're resistances that are about the the what it will require. Not a resistance usually to, to the, the con- yeah to the person and the connection. I'm getting this hit though that I had a guest on, um, and she has a book called How Not to Hate Your Husband After Having Kids, Jancy Dunn, and it really hit a nerve. And it's written about all the time online, on Facebook, different moms suggesting it. And it's like there's so much anger towards our partners. And I th- I'm feeling like it's because of this lack of trust. A lot of anger and lack of trust often comes from w- wanting our partner to do things a particular way mm-hmm. And to parent a particular way, like there's that early parenthood piece where we're like, hey, hey, don't, don't, right. don't do that that way, whatever yeah. it is. Don't diaper that way. The don't eternal gatekeeping. Don't it's that gatekeeping yeah. piece. And one of the things that I think we really need to embrace and remember is that as as parents, there's two of them. If we're fortunate, we have two parents, right? And we do things differently. And to let our partner, our co-parent, have their way of doing things and our way of doing things, unless it is really specifically about, you know, a a borderline issue of safety or something that's really edgy. But we do need to pick pick our battles, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, with with whatever it is, my my husband parents differently than I do. He does. And there are times when I'm like, oh, please, seriously, we're not doing that right now. Even now, when, with I, we have two teenage sons, and I sometimes I'm like, hey, Brent, can you can you not be their best friend? Can mm. we be parents here for a second? That's our issue that we we have, and it's. But he's he's allowed to parent the way he needs to parent, and I parent the way I'm going to parent. And we don't have to be on the same page. There's this whole talk about being on the same page. I think it's awesome when we're in the same chapter. Like, that's helpful. We need to be in the same chapter. 
we don't need to at be least on the same, same genre. page. Yeah, <laughs> at least the same book. Can we just be yeah. in the same book? Okay, have we agreed that this is the book of how we parent? Okay, but you're going to be over here doing this, and I'm going to be over here doing that. And what you do and what I do might influence our children differently. But I think there's a um, – it's, again, kind of some of that surrender and letting go of control and certainty to be active – in trusting, in letting go of saying, okay, I can't control it all. I can't control how my husband does everything. I can't control. And I, I'm going to move into that place of how do I, how do I let them be enough? Now, there's, there's so much I could say about this, but there's, it's, we do need to let them off the hook and let ourselves off the hook. You know, we aren't, we aren't perfect. We, and, and we're learning and we're fallible and they learn and they're fallible. I mean, how often when parents are brand new parents is, um, you know, mom is like figuring it out and trying to calm the baby and baby's crying and, and she's just in that place of, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out because I'm the mom, Mm -hmm. right? And the partner is trying to do that. And mom goes up and goes, just give them to me. Just give them to me. Instead of letting the partner do the same thing that we had to do, which was figure it out. We rescue them rather than letting them grow their own ability, their own parenting skin. Well, it also goes back to the nurse saying to you, touch the baby. Or in, the, like, it, in the rescuing of them, we're also saying we don't necessarily trust that they can do it themselves. And that would breed insecurity. And that becomes a cycle because yeah. then they don't believe that they can do it. Right. And that you're the only one that can. And, if, and then they're going to be in that place that says, well, you do it because I yeah. can't, which moms want more help. Oh, my God. One of the universal things <laughs> – that we hear is we need more help. Mm-hmm. It's like, but we disempower those who actually want to try and figure out how to do it by taking away their ability to struggle. Yes. With taking a bath and reintroducing yourself to yourself and mm-hmm. connecting with your partner, what are some things that we can do this to say like, hey, I've changed. I don't really know who I am now because I'm going through this crazy transformation as a mother. But here I am. Like, it's so vulnerable to go back so vulnerable. Yeah. to the stripping away and everything. Like, Because I'm sure there are a lot of mothers out there who are like, God, I'm so different than who I was when I got married. Because marriage isn't really the rite of passage. It isn't. Not um, in the same way. So how do moms sort of... You know, like, how can you be vulnerable to your partner again when you feel like you have to be vulnerable all the time with your baby? And then so you get these defenses up because you feel so vulnerable. Baby steps. You know, I would say baby steps. And in in terms of practical is to uh, invite a conversation that is different, to invite a conversation that says, I'm I'd love to talk with you and I'd like to connect. Connect is a great word to say, I want I want to be connected with you in who we are as as a couple. You know, I want to come back to connecting as a couple and not just as co-parents and not just as, you know, roommates and business partners of life. 
And to be in that place where you can actually say, can we connect and find out what's happened for each of us through this process? And to to invite a conversation that is a little bit deeper, less about the mundane of life, but to be in that place where – and it, it you, the word vulnerability is is a good one because it is vulnerable. And again, you don't have to wait to be fearless to do this. You just have to be brave to step in and say, okay, this is scary for me because I feel like a different person, but I kind of want you to know her because you mean something to me. I value you. You're my partner, and I, and I want to nurture that too. But it's hard for me, and I want to tell you a little bit about why that's hard for me. Something of that sort. You know, it's intimate. It's different for each person. But to, to invite a conversation that takes it to a different place. Okay, everybody, don't forget to subscribe and share with friends. Check out our website, AtomicMoms.com and Instagram at Atomic Moms. We have so many thrilling interviews coming up on the podcast. Cannot wait for you to hear them. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Atomic Moms.